listeners, and welcome to the Odds Profit Podcast. It's a new year, but some things never change. Man City are running away with the Premier League title, Norwich City are rock bottom, and everyone else is round about where they usually are in between. There is one significant change for us this week, however. We are recording this pod remotely because, well, I have it. (laughs) I've been touched, Andy, by the insidious illness. COVID is inside me. Touching me in places I should never be touched. Hi, Andy. <laughs> Happy New okay. Year. Happy New Year to you too. Did you have a good Christmas? It was um, it was interesting. Interesting. How about you? It was uh, yeah, it was quiet, nice and quiet. Um, watched a bit of football, watched a bit of darts. Yeah, it was good. Oh, that's good. Did you eat food? I had loads of turkey and ham. Turkey oh, and ham. Congratulations. So, Wazoo. do you have any um, resolutions or anything before we get going? Yeah, we, we mean, well, let the listeners in on a little, me and Simon are going to solve more crime in, in the new year. <laughs> eat, a, eat a banana a day and solve more crime. That's my new year's resolution. <laughs> <laughs> How many crimes are we talking? Like, is it one banana, one crime? Okay, is, the banana, is the banana a reward for the crime like, that you solve each day? <laughs> If I can manage to successfully solve one crime this year, it's more than last year. Now, I investigated lots of crime last year, but I didn't solve anything new. No, it's too so, bad. Yeah. And try, you... get a few, try get a few bets right. That's what I'm going to try and do. Oh, yeah, that's probably wise. We could investigate the, um, the crime of the missing bananas, actually. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... Uh... Other, other uh, diseases have touched you on the insides. <laughs> <laughs> so many... So many diseases. Now, actually, all right, get, let's get back into the podcast, right? Now, last time we decided to switch up the format a little bit with um, three sections for tips of differing sized odds and whatever, but um, we're returning to the older, more comprehensive format this week so that every game gets covered. Now, before we jump in, I must inform you that this podcast is about betting and gambling. So you must be aged 18 or over to listen in. And if you do follow our tips this weekend, then please gamble responsibly. <laughs> okay. Ready to go? I am ready. Cool. I'm up first with the Friday evening fixture. It's Brighton versus Crystal Palace at the Amex Stadium, or a rather exciting nickname battle between the Seagulls and Eagles. Two birds Mm -hmm. waging war. Birds of prey. Birds of prey, yes, yes, exactly. So first off, I've got some stats for you, Andy, to get you all warm. Crystal Palace have failed to score in their last three away matches. There have been under two and a half goals scored in Brighton's last four home games. And Brighton are both scoring and conceding an average of just 1.05 goals per 90 minutes this season. Hey, you see where this one's heading? Um, Palace have actually scored nine more goals than Albion this season. And they've certainly made big improvements in the final third under Patrick Vieira, but most of their good work has been done at home, where they've actually notched 20 of their 29 goals, which is just under 70% of their efforts so far. Away, they've been averaging just about a goal per game. So the teams drew one all in September at Sellers, Sellers Park, and Palace's goal that day came via a Wilfred Zaha penalty kick. Okay, I'm kind of giving this one away with my uh, preamble, but uh, under two and a half goals, (laughs) which has landed in 14 of Brighton's 19 Premier League games and seven of their nine home matches this season. That bet's available at four to six or 1.67. We don't want to start that skinnily, though, do we? No, let's go. Definitely got something up your sleeve. I can tell by that mischievous grin on your face. I have a combination. (laughs) You want want to hear a mischievous combination. I quite like the look of Brighton double chance and under two and a half goals, which comes in at even money. One to one. 
So Palace have only won once on the road this time. They do struggle as the visiting team for whatever reason. And though they did manage to pocket the points on each of their last two trips to the Amex, I just do not see that happening this time against Potter's plucky Albion. So that bet again is Brighton double chance and under two and a half goals. You likey? I likey. Me likey a lot. It's a good way to get us going for the first pot of the year, I suppose. Thanks. Cheers. Um, so <laughs> I'm going to take over then for the, the, the biggest game of the weekend, Man City-Chelsea. Easily. That's the early game on Saturday and City, as you alluded to already in your, in your opening, Man City are starting to open up a bit of a lead at the top of the table. Currently 10 points ahead of Chelsea in second and their goal difference is also 11 goals better than Chelsea. So it's a, bitty, it's a pretty big crunch game, especially it's essentially a must-win game for Chelsea, you feel, in terms of their you know, title ambitions. You lose this, you're 13 points behind City. It's kind of nigh on impossible to see a way back at that point. I mean, even if you win it, you're still seven behind seven points behind City, and that's still a tall order. But anything but a win for Chelsea, and you you might be able to put them to bed as title winners, I, I think. Um, City are sort of cranking it up a, a bit in recent weeks as well, aren't they? Just the um, just the 20 goal scored in their last five league games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're uh, starting we, to put the foot down a little bit, aren't they? The yeah, consistency they are. We, is just scary. No, unreal. And we mentioned only a few weeks ago that while they were winning games, they weren't scoring as many goals as you would expect. Um, I believe that at that point when we were talking about it, they were almost a goal a game worse off than, say, Liverpool, for example. I think it was something like after 14 games, Liverpool had scored 14 more goals or something along those lines. Well, they firmly stuck two fingers up in my direction. And, well, maybe they've taken my feedback on board and they've started to rack up the goals pretty relentlessly. Indeed, as it stands, they've now scored 53 goals to Liverpool's 52, albeit haven't played one game more. Still, it's quite an improvement and it's another sign of their levelling up, so to speak, in recent weeks. Um, another super positive sign for them is that the goals are pretty evenly spread. Riyad Mahrez is currently their top goal scorer with 13. He's out a little in front, but the following pack is Sterling on nine, Silva on eight, Foden on seven, Jesus and De Bruyne with six apiece. So... Earlier in the season, they were criticised a lot for lacking that focal type, that focal point type striker all season, but they seem to have properly adapted to that situation and they're currently thriving. Um, Chelsea, on the other hand, have won just one of their last five league games and um, all competitions, sure, you do have them beating Spurs comprehensively in both legs of, an, of a League Cup semi-final, but uh, Tuchel has now reached three finals in just about a year of the club, so that's that's pretty good going. Um they're also, they also pretty comprehensively beat Chesterfield in the FA Cup last weekend. However, their league form has been a cause for concern in recent weeks. We've discussed that extensively on this show. And um, the last time we were together, we talked about how Lukaku coming back into the fold might help steer them back on track. But even that has huge question marks over it now after his comments in that interview over Christmas. So he's not entirely happy with the current situation or play style or formation or whatever it may be either. Seems to be a certain level of regret from him for leaving Inter and maybe even hinting at more than a little bit of a desire to return there. So things don't all seem to be rosy. He doesn't want uh, to live in London, does he? He doesn't want to live in London. Is, is well, in England, yeah, <laughs> I, th- I think that's a massive part of it. I mean, yeah, yeah. Like, these guys are, are, I've kind of flipped back and forth on this kind of thinking, God, what a dreadful thing to say and kind of that lack of commitment to his new employers so soon after joining kind of thing. But they are kind of human beings at the end of the day. If he comes over and his family yeah, are miserable. Yeah, of human beings at the end of the day. <laughs> <You know? laughs> <Just> kind of. <laughs> but look, if no, mi- yeah, if, if you're not happy living somewhere, we've all been there. I mean, why? Yeah, I, I suppose he doesn't have to go public as, or well, as 
public as he did. I suppose he could still say those things privately. Um, but look, I empathise a little bit. I don't want to live here either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I suppose it's, it's more the kind of public nature of doing it, you know, sort of came yeah. out of nowhere for them. But, but yeah, as, as I said, their league form over the last five games is just one win and four draws. It's a one-all draw with Everton, a nil-nil with Wolves, a Stevens Day win over Villa, a one-all with Brighton, and then... Um, to be fair, a decent 2-2 draw with Liverpool haven't been 2-0 down where I thought they looked pretty good that day against Liverpool. I felt they were really unlucky to be 2-0 down and probably, at least in my estimation, the better side on the day and maybe even a bit unlucky to not take all three points. It is hard to see anything but a City win whenever City play, regardless of who they play at the moment. But um, top scorer Riyad Mahrez will be missing as he's away on in the African Cup of Nations. But with the way the goals are spread out uh, within the side, you feel that he's just kind of one cog that will slip out and another cog will just slip in with City at the, at the moment. It should be noted, however, though, that since Tuchel has joined Chelsea, these two sides have met four times and Chelsea have won three of those. They beat City last year at the Etihad in May uh, during the league running. They also knocked City out of the FA Cup on the way to the final last year. And of course, they beat them in last season's Champions League final. The league game back in September is the only time City won in those four outings. So if you think the Tuchel has Pep's number, you can get a Chelsea to win at 4-1 to one or 5.0, which for a crunch game is not going to be that. However, I'm going to go for a City win and both teams to score at 12-5 to five or 3.4. That's really, really big price. Really big price. Yeah. What's in, think, do you have the, the odds handy there for just a standard Man City win? Uh, it's uh, I can get them up there really quick if you can um, provide some cover for radio silence. But um, No, I'm just going to make it awkward. <laughs> just gonna let um, you hang. No, the man, a Man City win is thirteen to twenty. You know, so oh, it's that's, very, you, know. you you rarely get odds that close for a City win in any game. Yeah, rarely, and um, a lot of the games, like the the FA Cup game, was a single goal margin. The uh, Champions League final was a single goal margin. The game back in the Etihad, in in the sorry at Stamford Bridge in September was a one 0 game as well. So like, I think the both teams to score is what's helping to juice up that that price a little bit. Um, Man City to win and both teams to not score is two to one. But I don't know. I just I just fancy there being a couple of goals. Like I can see this being like a two one or something to Man City. Just an aside. Do you like um single goal margarine on your toast, or do you, do you prefer kind of like two goal butter? <laughs> two goal butter. I can't believe it's <laughs> butter. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> okay, I really like that. Right, cheers. Um, <laughs> my first game on Saturday is um, at St James's Park for the Magpies versus the Hornets, which is I would imagine David Attenborough's favorite game of the weekend, perhaps. Um, this is a potentially he might, like, he might like the Seagulls versus the Eagles as well. He might. It's it's a good weekend for Attenborough, to be fair. <laughs> Um, this is a potentially crucial fixture, of course, in the battle to beat the drop. So Newcastle's fans will expect them to improve from this point onwards with new signings incoming. Indeed, Kieran Trippier is set to feature for the first time following his switch from Atletico. They will also hope to have Chris Wood available. What a sneaky move that was, by the way. <laughs> it was just the sort of underhandedness that you'd expect from football's most evil regime. <laughs> Isn't it really? We're going to take your only chance of survival away from you. We won't even. We don't even need him. We're going to sell him next year for nothing. And it also seemed to happen so quickly as well. So quickly. Yeah. And poor Wood. Poor Wood is kind of jumping all this. He looks so happy in the presentation photographs, but he has no idea of the pawn he actually is in this. Yeah, this, yeah, yeah. this relegation brinksmanship. So <laughs> Newcastle have won this once in the Premier League all season long, which is pretty incredible. And even more remarkably, they aren't even bottom of the league with their one solitary victory because there's an actual football team in the same division that have been worse 
in Norwich City. Um, United were dumped out of the FA Cup at home by League One's Cambridge last weekend, which is all kinds of mortifying. Um, Watford can kind of empathise, having been eliminated by Leicester, though it's not exactly the same, is it? The Hornets certainly share plenty of common ground with Newcastle in terms of their rotten form. They've actually lost seven on the bounce in all competitions and nine of their last 10 overall. Claudio Ranieri, who we discussed, I think, last time before Christmas, is kind of, he's only through the door figure road, but he's already the favourite to get the sack um, in the managerial merry-go-round prices. So I, you can understand why, actually, despite the achingly short length of his tenure, it's been pretty rubbish, hasn't it? <laughs> Game's gone, Simon. Game's gone. But Watford have been dreadful since his return. Except no, I'm against... not shy. They're not exactly shy on changing manager either. No, no. I know that that kind of win over Man United maybe kept him in the job a little bit, but uh, yeah, the goodwill from that hammering has probably run out at this stage. Mm. Uh, Watford and Newcastle drew one all back in September in the reverse fixture, but not sure we can draw too much kind of evidence from that game seeing as there were two different managers in charge back then. In terms of betting, you could make a solid argument for almost anything here, but a standard Newcastle win at one-to-one or even money is the most appealing choice from my point of view. Watford's current form is dire, and Newcastle should have kind of more energy to harness, you would think, with the buzz of new faces around the place. This kind of feels a little bit like Newcastle's fixture against Burnley before Christmas, which they won 1-0, and I can Mm -hmm. see them forcing a similar sort of result. So a Trippier cross... A wood diving header. Yeah. There you go. So even money. It's written written in the stars. Newcastle, even money. There you go. Why not? Excellent. Good stuff. Am I up next or have you got another game? It's me, of course. It's you, of course. I'm doing all the heavy lifting this week. (laughs) So in McCarroll Road, where Norwich entertain Everton. And interestingly, Rafa Benitez is second favourite for the chop behind Ranieri. And if the Toffees do underwhelm again against the league's bottom club, Things could accelerate there. I speak only facts. The picture looks pretty bleak for Norwich too. Their 2-0 reverse at West Ham on Wednesday was their sixth straight defeat in the league. They lost each of those games to nil and have scored just once in eight league assignments overall. Ouch! Just once. You can't see me because it's just audio. I'm just holding up my finger to emphasize the (laughs) point. Um, Everton have won just once in 12 games themselves and they were toppled in eight of those the most recent of which was a 3-2 defeat at home to Brighton. Well, at home to a Brighton team that can't score goals. <laughs> they scored three against Everton. The Toffees have actually claimed maximum points just once on the road all season. The same tally of victories, incidentally, that Norwich have picked up at home. So this is another game where you can't really side with either team with any degree of confidence, I think. So both teams look capable of losing. But under two and a half goals, sadly, again, is where I see the most promise here, as unexciting as it is. That's available at four to five or one Point eight. Now Norwich rarely win, but hidings for them are generally kind of rare enough. So five of their last eight Premier League matches have produced under two and a half goals. And as I mentioned earlier, they've scored just once in their last 720 minutes of football. I know this is audio, but I'm holding up 720 fingers just to emphasize the point. Everton have notched just eight times in nine away scuffles since the summer and their 2-0 win over Norwich at Goodison in September featured a goal from the spot by Andros Townsend. So with Richarlison out, Calvert-Lewin half fit and confidence low, I can't see Everton cutting loose here. So 4-5 to five or 1.8 for a game of little incident is quite a decent price, I think. Generous, Andrew. Generous. Generous, and I have a feeling under 2.5 goals is going to be a theme running through this weekend set of fixtures. Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
on on that note, I'm <laughs> spoiler alert. On that note, I'm heading towards a Chris Woodless Burnley as they travel to Leicester this weekend. They can't um, see the woodless for the trees. Not. And is this the season for Burnley to finally go? We've chatted about them having the same sort of Groundhog Day season. And um, they've kind of flirted with, with uh, relegation for a season or two now, and they kind of look in trouble this season. Now they've sold their top goal scorer to one of their direct relegation rivals. I mean, the business model that Burnley run, 25 million for Chris Wood is probably good business on the face of it. Um, is it worth the kind of money on the line if they were to get relegated? Maybe it is. Maybe the board feel that they're secure enough in their long-term planning of the club and how they operate that um, that relegation won't be as catastrophic for them as it might be for others, which is probably, in fairness, a smart enough strategy for them in the long term. A club shouldn't be betting its whole existence on avoiding the drop every year, especially if you're a club who's consistently in a battle to avoid that drop every year. It does seem a little bit of resignation from Burnley, though, doesn't it? Like struggling for goals and selling your main man in January to a direct rival. What do you think, Simon? Yeah, of course it is. I mean, he's, he's one of their kind of prime providers of goals, along with Maxwell Cornet. So... I mean, what are they going to do? They don't score enough goals as it is. So, it is, yeah, yeah. And on top of that, they failed to win any of their last five games now with the form guide showing up as three defeats and two draws. They've conceded three apiece in recent defeats to the, to the Uniteds of Manchester and Leeds, whom, let's face it, neither of which are high-scoring sides right now. Easy. They had a couple of goals. <laughs> they had a couple of goalless draws at Wolves and West Ham and a hammer blow of a defeat in Newcastle, which you alluded to earlier on back in December. Burnley have had a few game postponements, postponements this season. They've only played 17 games, which is the lowest amount of any team in the league so far. There's some teams in the league are on 21 games played already. So Burnley do have a game in hand or two on, on a lot of their you know, relegation rivals. Um, they have a couple of players out at the moment who are in contention to come back into the fall this weekend with God Munson, Dwight McNeil and Eric Peters all should be available for selection again. Leicester, on the other hand, still have quite a few players out. Um, Kalichi Iannaccio, Wilfred and Didi are currently on international duty in the African Cup of Nations with Wesley Fofana, Johnny Evans, Ricardo Pereira and Jamie Vardy, all long-term absences. Um, their last five league games goes a little something like this. Uh, a 2-2 draw with Southampton, a 2-1 defeat to Aston Villa, a 4-0 hammering of Newcastle, a mental 6-3 defeat to Man City, which we might have got a really amazing bet up on over the Christmas <laughs> period. And back to our own episodes. Um but to be fair, in that six-three defeat to Man City, the three probably flattered Leicester a little bit. It did. Uh, they did have a solid one-nil win over Liverpool. Now, in amongst all that, they did have a thrilling three-three draw with Liverpool in the League Cup quarter-final, which they ultimately lost on penalties, and they comfortably moved past Watford in the in the third round of the FA Cup last weekend. But with Leicester's injury situation and their lack of attacking options at the moment, and Burnley just being Burnley, I see a low-scoring game here, and you know what that means. If you're a coward like I am, I'm a big coward. Under 2.5 goals comes in at 11 to 10 or 1.91, which I think is pretty likely, but it's not that juicy. If you fancy a low scoring game and maybe you can nil nil draw or whatever, a draw at 12 to 5 or 3.4 is, I think, a little bit more of a braver bet. Oh, that's cool. Look, cowards survive wars, Andy. Don't ever yeah, knock yeah. being a coward. Embrace your yellow belly. I, uh, if uh, look, I'm recommending bets here. If I was putting my money down, I would go with the cowards bet. But if anyone wants to feel a little bit more ambitious, there's an option for you. Are you yellow bellied or lily livered? That's the real burning question. Both. We're from we're from Wexford. We we are the yellow bellies. It's true. It's true. Look it up, listeners. <laughs> I like that bet though. It makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. Thank you. Thank you. I always appreciate it when you like my bets. 
<laughs> I don't like all of them. <laughs> all right. Uh, my last fixture on Saturday is at Molyneux, where Wolves host Southampton in what should be a pretty intriguing game, I think. Look, I'll admit, straight off the bat, I have a soft spot for Ralph Hasenhutl. I think I have a soft spot for Wolves. Look, I think he's a brilliant coach. He was fantastic in Baywatch. I mean, <laughs> he's so good. <laughs> We've lost Andy. <laughs> I've rarely seen, uh, look, I've rarely seen Southampton play poorly. Um, he seems to get so much out of whatever players are available. And usually the players are kind of pulled out from under him during whatever transfer windows. And he hasn't recovered. I've never, that was, that was nearly one of those moments. I was literally taking a drink, as you said that. And I've never nearly spat my, I always think that that's a made up thing when people say I spat drink all over my keyboard. I so nearly spat drink all over my keyboard when you said that. <laughs> that just I tickled did, me. Right. No, just even better. Even better, I didn't have that in my notes at all. I'll send you a screenshot. I just saw the name and just, oh my god! <laughs> anyway, look, the Saints look, that have might lost. Be stupid listeners, it tickled me just right. <laughs> ah, good. The Saints have lost just one of their last eight games in all competitions, and they played with a real swagger against Brentford on Tuesday in a four-one win. We've actually mentioned, well, Andy kind of hinted at it there a second ago. We've mentioned Wolves quite a bit on this show too, as a team that we generally quite like even though they beat our beloved Man United in their last league fixture. But Wanderers thoroughly deserved that win. And they followed that up with another against Sheffield United in the FA Cup, where they hit a completely out-of-character three goals. And scoring the goals to complement their performances has generally been a big issue for Wolves this season. They've notched just three times in their last eight league fixtures combined. Wow! And only Norwich have scored fewer goals overall. It's in that kind of goal-scoring department that Southampton probably have the edge this weekend. They've scored at least twice in five of their last eight games. Now, I don't expect the Saints to go nuts in the Midlands. Wolves hold the league's second-best defensive record behind Man City. But in a game where margins are likely to be slim, that extra bit of oomph they have could make all the difference. For that reason, I've been a little braver and plumped for Southampton double chance and under three goals in the game at 15-4. to four or 2.38. So two or fewer goals have been registered in three of the last four meetings between them. So the net has rippled just once in Wolves' last three home games combined. So everything lines up nice and straight for this one. If you want it again, Southampton double chance and under three goals. 15 to four or 2.38. Perfect. Thank you. That's the end of part one, actually. Or is it? Or is it? Oh, we have a quiz. Yay, he said. I am, thinking, I am thinking this might be a pretty quick, quick fire quiz of Premier League's funniest moments. Let's do it. So, Simon, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. I've got 10 questions here. We'll burn through them. That's more than so, a couple. Two Arsenal players were famously involved in messing up a penalty when they were trying to be too clever. Who were the players involved? Oh, Thierry Henry and Robert Perez. That is correct. Kaboom. Which Liverpool player wishbone themselves on the goalpost against Chelsea in 1998? That was Phil Babby Bab. That was Phil Bab, Ireland's own Phil Bab. Um, <laughs> He's so okay. Irish. Famous clip of Aston Villa goalkeeper Enkelman letting the ball roll under his foot into his own net after a, a player had thrown the ball back into him. Can you remember the player who took the throwing? Oh, my God. Well, I know he was a teammate. <laughs> teammate. Uh, I'm guessing he was a right back. Um, mm-hmm. 
I'm trying to think of Aston Villa right backs from back then. What year was it again? Did you say? Oh, I, I didn't actually. I didn't actually make a note of the year. He was a big, handsome dude. Uh, um, I'm pretty sure he was Scandinavian. Uh, big beard. Always had a big beard. Olaf Melberg. Olaf Melberg. That's another correct answer in that column. I'm going to set the scene for you. I'm going to set the scene for you with this one. It's 2008. It's a really sunny afternoon clash between Manchester United and Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. Tense game. I mean, 2008, Chelsea, Man United. That's like top of the table type clash, right? Camera cuts to the Man United bench when somebody does something to make Fergie and the rest of the bench shit themselves. Who does what? Nicky Butt takes out it. Oh, wait, no. Um, Mick Phelan gets a balloon. And then he stamps on it and frightens the bejesus out of Alex Ferguson. You've got it. I was hoping you were going to have trouble remembering who exactly it was that burst the balloon. I knew you'd remember the balloon bursting, but I was I was hoping you might, you know, like struggle with who it was. But anyway, that's another correct answer. Oh Can gosh. you tell which Newcastle defender rolled around comically as if his chest had just been caved in, pretending to be injured when in reality he had stopped a certain goal with his hands? Oh. Very famous incident where... Someone took a is- shot. Against, it was against Aston Villa. And it was two, 2005. And a defender basically sit, like saves the ball with his hands and then sort of rolls around as if it hit him in the chest. And it was like, oh, it hit me so hard. Oh, what's your man's name? Taylor. Uh, <sighs> oh, you're on for half a point. Oh, what was his name? He was the captain of Newcastle and everything. He was. Katie. You know what? You know what? I'm feeling, <laughs> I'm feeling generous. Taylor is enough. Stephen Taylor was his name. All right. Okay. Stephen Taylor was he? Thank you. So in the same game, right, was the famous incident where two Newcastle teammates got into a punch up at one another. Who were the teammates? Uh, Lee Boyer. That's one. Kieran Dyer. Kieran Dyer. Simon is on fire. Oosh. Louis Van Hal fell to the ground holding his clipboard demonstrating a dive to the fourth official who were Manchester United playing that day Arsenal that was the game where Marcus Rashford announced himself in the Premier League with a brace Arsenal was the answer that is correct Omondo you are on seven out of seven remember that time Pepe Reina tried to save a balloon instead of saving the ball when it went into the net I do it was against Sunderland but who was the goal scorer Oh, it wasn't credited to the balloon. It was not credited to the balloon. Um, what year was this again? Oh, I'd say it was 2009, maybe 2010. Oh, God, no. I have no idea with that one. I can't even... Lee, Lee Cattermole. <laughs> it was, it was um, Darren Bent. Darren no, I didn't Bent. know that one. Didn't know that one. Well, look, I'm glad you got one of them wrong. I didn't want to go on too easy when you're nothing. Like, can you remember which Hull City player Alan Pardew headbutted? that's that is that is the that's my favorite for me that's just the best moment oh man Uh, and i don't think you're my oh hunt uh stephen hunt no it was david myler oh david myler david myler didn't go down or anything either did he no he didn't david myler was wanting pieces of him (laughs) (laughs) oh that's cool so is that eight out of ten no, that's not. That's nine questions so far. You've got one question to go right now. This oh, one is I was just preempting it because I knew I was going to get it. This one's slightly tough, so I'm going to get. It's a multiple choice answer, right? Paolo De Canio, while playing for Sheffield Wednesday, famously pushed over a referee. Can you tell me who the referee was? Do you need multiple choice, or are you able to just tell me? Um, multiple choice, please. But if it's 
either one or two I'll probably know it's Graham Paul David Ellery Paul Alcock or Phil Dowd Phil Dowd it's Paul Alcock oh you're wrong it's Phil Al- it's it's uh, it's Paul Alcock alright then 7 out of 10 7 That's out of 10 is ho- pretty good score that might be I, the all time high I think it might be yeah I think it might be I'm pretty proud I, I'm, I'm pretty proud of you I mean like in fairness that was a pretty spectacular fall from grace when you had 7 out of 7 after you know, <laughs> It's always my problem. Too cocky. <laughs> no, that's that's a very good performance there, Simon. Well done. Thanks very much, Andrew. I really enjoyed that quiz. It was really um, refreshing. Thank you. Thank you. Half time. It sure is. <laughs> oh, welcome, thanks. welcome to part two. Andy's up first, and he's off to the Midlands for a, a game between two familiar foes. I am indeed. Uh, a repeat of Monday night's FA Cup clash, which saw Manchester United win 1-0 to advance in the next round to the fourth round, indeed, over Aston Villa. But that doesn't quite tell the story of the game, does it, Simon? Villa were comfortably the better side in the vast majority of that game. I thought that United started pretty brightly and they finished strong-ish. I, maybe not strong in the sense that they were creating a lot of chances, but they definitely seemed to be able to take control of the football for spells and see out the game. However, everything in between that was pretty much Aston Villa the boss most areas of the pitch, and they'll feel pretty unlucky to have been knocked out. So the game this weekend is a perfect opportunity for them to get some revenge and set the record straight. New signings, Philip Coutinho and Lucas Digna will be available for selection. Whether both starts remain to be seen. I reckon Coutinho will, but Digna maybe not. Historically, however, Villa don't have the best record over the Red Devils, but really any team should be rubbing their hands at the prospect of playing Manchester United right now. Far Ragnick's first game in charge versus Palace. United have been outplayed and outfought by essentially all of their opponents since then. And we're talking about a run, run of fixtures here, which was Norwich, Newcastle and Burnley, the bottom three clubs. Then a defeat to Wolves and a fortunate enough win against Villa earlier in the, in the FA Cup. But this is something that goes back further than Ralph's arrival. It's been pretty much that way for United all of the season. The odd decent performance, but 19 games in, you could probably count those good performances on one hand. You could probably say that they played well against Leeds and Spurs and maybe spells against Newcastle, but everything else has been a slog. So even the games they win, they tend to be the second best side in most of them with no real rhythm or style to speak of. So Villa won the reverse fixture 1-0 earlier this season in a game that they were also a very good value for in their victory. The last time Villa had beaten Manchester United prior to that was back in 2009. So history is in United's favour here, but not much else is. <laughs> I went down through the club's head-to-head records. And from my calculations, Villa haven't done a league double over Manchester United since 1954. Oh, no. But I think it's well and truly on the cards for this weekend. Yeah. Um, not many players have played well for United in recent weeks, but one who has is the match winner from Monday's game, Scott McTominay. Now, the bar is probably low to measure against, but he has been United's best and most consistent performer, certainly in the in the Ragnick era, in my opinion. So another boost for Villa is that he's going to miss this game through suspension this weekend, which means he might get a rare sighting of the lesser spotted Danny Van de, Danny Van de Beek or a Fred and Maddich combo in midfield, which I'm crikey, sure... Crikey, crikey, crikey. Yeah, so either way there, I'm sure the likes of McGinn and Douglas Louise are pretty excited about coming up against that in midfield this weekend. McGinn is suspended this weekend, I think. Is he? I, I, miss, I must have missed that in my... Thank you for that, Simon. Thanks. You're welcome. Um, but look, they're both, they're both goal-shy sides at the moment with both scoring just six apiece in their last five games. But in spite of that, both teams to score when United play this season has probably been the most solid, solid banker of a bet this season. Um, United have already lost six times this season. I have a feeling that's going to become unlucky number seven this weekend. 
So I'm going to plump for Aston Villa to win and both teams to score at 9-2 or 5.5. No, you just can't pass up that price, can you? I mean, no. Aston Villa are just a ridiculous price to win, even just kind of... They were in the FA Cup game on Monday too. I think they were 9-2 before kickoff or something. And although they did lose, but blimey, the price is just, as I said, too far, too big to pass up. So that's a really good yeah. bet, Andy. Really good. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like I said earlier on, it's like any team should be should be rubbing their hands at the idea of playing Manchester United right now. So I'm hoping teams get just overconfident and United can just kind of play on the counter-attack to their strengths in the next few weeks. But I just it's not happening, is it? It's not happening. Yeah, look, I suppose the one chrome solace that Man United fans can take is that like they've they have been outplayed in pretty much all of Ragnick's games, but he hasn't really lost the one of them. Do you know what I mean? So like they, they do semantics. Yeah. They haven't been playing well, but they have been sort of finding a way to win, I suppose. But like, it's, I think there's a couple of defeats in in store for them. Like they're they're due a couple that they've been getting away with it, and there's only so long I think they can get away with that. And I think, I think Villa are, are, are going to beat them at the weekend. Yeah, I think so too. And we're kind of at that stage with United now that we're you're almost closing your eyes and then running to the end of the season, like run <laughs> to the finish line. It's like yeah. if you're playing paintball and you decide to run the gauntlet, you just close your eyes and just tank it down the road and you get peppered and peppered and peppered but you do you get out of there eventually <laughs> you can dust yeah. yourself down so that's United's um, the last few months of the season it's going to be tough rim times ahead yeah 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 and then sure look uh, next season could be could be yeah. the one. next season we can get to October and start writing off that season as well <laughs> <laughs> oh. <clears throat> from one dreadful team to one pretty good team um, I'm off to Anfield on Sunday, oh, yeah. what's that? Brentford are pretty good, yeah. Hey, oh. <laughs> so yeah, this of course will be the first time Liverpool have to deal with the the full impact of Afcon with both Mohammed and Mohammed Salah and Sadio Mane away on international duty with Egypt and Senegal respectively. Between them, they've had a hand in sixty five percent of Liverpool's fifty two league goals, which is a really standout statistic, I think. Though they do have depth in the final third. Diogo Jota and Roberto Firmino are both high quality, despite the latter's underwhelming numbers. Well, Divock Origi is a fairly reliable understudy. Brentford went toe-to-toe with Liverpool back in September in a 3-3 draw, was, which was unquestionab- unquestionably one of the best games of the season so far. Um, a heavy midweek defeat at Southampton aside, the Bees have been competitive in the majority of their games they've been a great addition to the league really they haven't won an away game since beating West Ham way back in October however and they shouldn't be expected to upset the odds at Anfield on Sunday the Reds are actually winless in three league games which is probably enough to scupper their latest title bid 11 points behind in January is probably too big of a gap to breach between now and May though they should be able to get back to winning ways on Sunday at 3-10 to Liverpool are best ignored in the match result markets but if you couple Andy if you couple a home win with Diogo Jota to score any time, you can bump up that price to a far more reasonable 21 to 20 or 2.05. So with Salah and Mane elsewhere, Jota will take on greater goal-getting responsibility, of course, and he certainly seems more likely to make an impact than Firmino, Firmino or Origi. He actually scored against Brentford last year and he's on 10 for the campaign already. So he's kind of the, the likeliest producer of a match-changing moment, I think. So there you go. Liverpool to win, Jota to score any time. Nice and simple. 21 to 20. 
as much as I can like a Liverpool player, I like Jota. He's 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 very good, and he always seems to be fairly reliable. He seems to just score every kind of goal as well. So yeah, he's he's a he's a good remarkably good in the air for a diminutive forward. That's yeah, a lot yeah, of no. cliches. A lot of cliches. He's a really good player. He's a really solid player. Okay, so What's am next? I off to West Ham versus Leeds? I mm-hmm. think I am. West Ham are back in the top four. Uh, Jared, I'm waiting uh, with a. I'm really anticipating your your weekly hammers pun. I hope it there comes. Please one in there. I don't know if I've got one in there. This is this is uh, this is probably not a game that David Attenborough's going to like. There's no there's no there's no nickname here that he's going to like. Is there no? Uh, Jared Bowen scored both goals in a two 0 victory over Norwich on Wednesday night. Uh, that means West Ham have now won their last three Premier League games on a spin. 2-0 over Norwich, 3-2 over Palace, and a 4-1 win over Watford. That's having failed to register a win in their three games preceding that. So that little mini patch of bad form seems to be behind them. Uh, as we all know, it was FA Cup duty last weekend, and these two sides met each other in the third round too, just like Manchester United and Aston Villa as well. So with the Hammers progressing to the fourth round after a safe and sound 2-0 home win. Leeds should be well-rested, having not played over the Christmas period. Their game against Liverpool was postponed due to COVID, meaning that they played Arsenal on the 18th of December and then Burnley on the 2nd of January. Nice little break there, 15 days off. So um, that game against Burnley was a much-needed respite from their sinister fixture list. Leeds sinister? Were, sinister. <laughs> Leeds were in a, in a run of playing Chelsea, City, Arsenal, and then scheduled to play Liverpool, and the, the defeats were starting to stack up. That's very However, sinister, game, actually. Yeah. The game versus Burnley was something of a crunch game and Leeds managed to get a win on the board, uh, a 3-1 win in fact, putting eight points between them and the drop zone. The postponement may have benefited Bielsa's men. Um, They've had a pretty extensive injury list pre-Christmas and while there's still a few names on there, it has cleared up considerably for them on that front. Mikel Antonio is still currently West Ham's top goal scorer, but Jared Bowen is coming into a bit of form, as I mentioned. He scored both goals in a 2-0 win over Norwich this week, and he also scored in the one nil in the he's also scored one in the game against Leeds last weekend in the FA Cup. So you can get him to score at any time. Sorry about that there. It's hard to see past a West Ham win here for Moyes and his boys. But uh Leeds haven't traveled well this season. In fact, they've won just once on the road, and that was away to Norwich. West Ham to win and Bowen to score any time is coming in at 13 to 8 or 2.63. And that's where I am putting my money. <laughs> I like it, Andy. I like a lot of good points in there. And what was that Thank bet again at the end for those who weren't listening at the back of the class? West Ham to win and Bowen to score any time at 13 to 8 or 2.63. Nice. I like it. Um, we've actually... We're approaching our last game of the weekend already. Time absolutely flies when you've got COVID. It's probably like an hour long again as usual, but it's like it feels like we're flying through this. There's no way to know at the moment. And um, we're <laughs> actually recording this on Zoom and there's no time stamp trackery thingy. So we're, we're just flying blind. This could be five hours for all we know. We started recording yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> we need to do our warm-up exercises, you see. And um, the final game of the weekend is the North London Derby Governor. So step in time, Andy, step in time. Arsenal are kind of one of the Premier League's form teams. I say kind of because it's quite easy to get swept away in the incredibly positive coverage they get. Their young players are exciting and all that, but they they did give Man City a run for for their money and stuff. But they've still lost four of the last nine in the league and they failed to win six out of ten on the road since August. That's the very definition of blowing hot and cold. 
They were also dumped out of the FA Cup by Nottingham Forest last weekend, which is a pretty big blow for the 2020 winners. Tottenham, meanwhile, were outclassed by Chelsea for the second time this month in the second leg of the Carabao Cup semi-finals on Wednesday. They've had kind of a strange sort of start under Antonio Conte, haven't they? Results have been half decent in the league, but performances a bit lukewarm, I think. They run far more than they did under Mourinho, um, but the team style of play has been quite similar and kind of un- unexpansive for the most part, I think. Conte has yeah. been quite vocal about a perceived lack of quality at the club, but his unbeaten run is still intact in the league and Spurs mm. can replace Arsenal in fifth spot with the right result on Sunday and they will still have a couple of games in hand over the Gunners. I expect Spurs to attempt to kind of counterpunch their way to glory this weekend, much, much like they did against Liverpool in late December. That one finished 2-2, but it could have been 4-4. And I think the North yeah. London Derby could be a similar sort of game. I don't think it will be a case of no sun, no fun for Spurs without their injured South Koreans there. Um, Arsenal have scored 20 times in their last eight league games, but shipped 10 at the wrong end in their last five fixtures on the road. So I don't really fancy either team to keep it a, a clean defence. So I expect the attacking players to take centre stage. So over two and a half goals with both teams to score is six to five or 2.2. That landed in the reverse fixture in September and in four of the club's last six encounters overall. So expect blood, thunder and all that dabby jazz. If you want some more stats, then try these on for size, Andrew. There have been over two and a half goals in Arsenal's last five away games. There have been over two and a half goals scored in Tottenham's, well, in seven of Tottenham's last eight Premier League home games. So everything is as it should be for this bet. What do you think? Goals or are you going, would you think the, the opposite way completely? No, I think goals are coming as well. And I think I think you are right about uh, Spurs and since under Conte, they have been a bit Mixed, I thought that game. I suppose they, they have fallen victim to they have had a couple of games postponed as well, and maybe it's hard to get some rhythm. I did think that they were really good that day against Liverpool. I thought that maybe that was the start of something new for them, but like you know, they, they seem to kind of swing back and forth. Um, it's it's um, they're a tough one to sort of predict at the moment, but I can I can I can see goals in this game, so I think I think that's a that's a wise investment for your money. Thanks, Andy. I really appreciate that. I really appreciate the confidence. I know you do. I know you do. I know you do. Um, your your critique means so much to me. <laughs> I got you. I got you. <laughs> That's it. That's 10 games out of 10. Friday right through to Sunday. We did it. We did it. And we did it remotely. And I'm not remotely interested in doing a remote um, podcast recording again because I miss I miss your 3D face. You just don't do it for me in 2D. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, it's, it's, it's been a different experience. Hopefully we can get back to recording in person again next week. Um, so apologies if there's any issues with you know sound quality or anything, but like you know, needs must. Yeah, exactly. I feel like we're a bit, I feel like we're a bit extra giddy on Zoom than when we are in person. It doesn't feel as real on Zoom. No, no. So you're kind of yeah, you're a bit fast and loose with the seriousness. I threw seriousness out the window just at minute one, really. Yeah, I, well, yeah. Tell me about it. I just did there. <laughs> Listeners, you wouldn't believe what's been going on here. <laughs> <laughs> we should probably release this video at some stage. It's going to be pretty funny. Yeah. Okay, listen, uh, we wrap it up there? Yeah, I think so. And um, thanks to all of you, as always, for tuning in. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen. If you do like the show, really, please, please follow us wherever you listen to podcasts, whether that's Spotify or Deezer or any of other things that I'm not really <laughs> aware of or up on. Is there a secret podcasting platform somewhere that i don't know about let me know and we can upload the show what do you think 
<laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I think we're available now. We were available originally just on Spotify, but we're available now on anywhere you should be able to get your, your podcast Acast, now. All those Acast. places. Yeah. Midi disc. Um, yeah. Your local all video rental store. Yeah, they have Tes- them all on t- Tesco. Subway. Uh, no, yeah, we should be all anyone that's listening on Android using like you know stuff like Pocket Cast and Podbean or whatever. We should be available wherever you get your podcast. If you can't get our podcast anywhere, like I said, let us know. Yeah, we can post out a copy somehow. Maybe Although if can... you can't get, if you can't get our podcast, you're probably not hearing this. So if you need a no. full um, text transcription of the episode, just send a stamped addressed envelope to uh, Middlesex. Is now where everyone sends things. <laughs> <laughs> and we can also send out um, tape cassettes of each episode. We began with um, cover art. Right, we're wrapping it up now. <laughs> All right. Um, make sure to check out Odds Profit on Facebook and on their official website because they own this podcast, not us. Um, there you'll be able to find all their latest tips. And there's a lot of them covering more than just football. So make sure to check them out. It's well worth your money. Um, remember, remember to gamble responsibly most of all and have a fantastic weekend. And we'll talk to you next week. It's bye from me. Thanks. Thanks.